Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 186th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that puts a giant heap of specs into your magic box. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, loyal listeners. Another, another pleasant evening here in the Rust Belt. How are you tonight, James? Still recovering from an epic D&D session on the weekend. <laughs> wow, that okay. was that was a very haughty laugh for a guy who's devoted his yeah, life to MDG <laughs> Finance. Jeez, I mean, I'm, I'm a well-rounded nerd, Travis. Stop trying to be elitist. <laughs> yeah, man, I am trashed. We had such an epic rager dungeon crawl this weekend (laughs) there's strippers and donkeys in the place when we woke up it was insane z Z kit level four it was nuts (laughs) we were going crazy it it was a set two natural 20s in a row it was a seven hour session two people did fall asleep (laughs) yeah that sounds more like what i would expect out of uh how to have a D session for the most part i mean our D session is a little cooler than the average let's let's make no mistake about it it's in a penthouse it's got a crazy skyline view of the city there's a secret room it's a there's a custom gaming table there's usually pretty amazing beer and wine the host is quite the excellent chef and makes food for everybody it was a good time um, but it no, was, no, but I it wasn't, doubt it wasn't it. epic because we got hammered. It was epic because they had to fight like 150 undead, and it was pretty awesome. It's a lot yeah, of undead. It was, like, it was like what people wished Game of where, Thrones was. Where did you get your table? Uh, it's not mine. This is our host, and this dude is extremely oh. handy. He uh, same, same you, guy that you same, were same guy that built the wood fired uh, hot tub up at his cottage, and his uh, gotcha. his place is pretty tricked out. Gotcha. Because I took a stab at just like a real basic type of device uh, table, I should say, uh, like a year or two ago. And it was a very good learning experience. And I'm kind <laughs> of in the mood to try it again. Um, but like that's a that's 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 an appealing project, but not something I want to get into when I can be doing things like fixing the entire rest of my house. Yeah, I have a cool table, but it's not like a full size gaming table like I would like to have one day. Um, and we do have room for that in our place, so I will eventually get around to it. But the, pl- the thing I built is basically two uh, iron shipping pallets that has printer's letter, uh, like uh, letter holders. I don't know if you can picture them, but they're basically like wooden trays that have a bunch of small compartments in them that used to hold the uh, the actual letters that would go on a printing press back in the olden days. And and sure, then I just I got, got a custom piece of glass cut on top of that, and I filled it up with uh, Star Wars troopers, and uh, it's a pretty cool conversation piece. Some Star Wars blogger wrote an article about it like five years ago. Huh. I feel like I saw a screenshot of that at some yeah, point. Your your Star Wars coffee table thing yeah. there. It's, it's a cool like it's a cool little gaming table, but we only have so many seats that are that low. Is the thing. So if you want to get like yeah. people comfortably seated up on stools, that's a different story. 
Um, and I'm tempted to get one. There is no comfortably seated on stools. <laughs> I'm tempted to get one of those wormwood tables, but just the shipping alone would be just insane. Well, you know, I have a buddy, and I do not know what brand it is, but he bought one of those custom-made gaming tables, and it was uh, it was not worth the money. Like, and I, and he he, it was I don't know, like eight or nine hundred dollars or something like that. Uh, he had to wait like three years for it to get delivered. Uh, it was like an extra year delayed, and uh, the table itself. Well, it, I mean, it's fine. But it just, you know, for what you spent, you it wasn't as nice as you would hope it to be. And then all the chairs like broke almost immediately. So I, I really think that if you have the opportunity, the space, and even a mild inclination, you're probably better off served trying to put together your own. Especially because you can just go to Craigslist, buy a sturdy square table that's, you know, doesn't have to be pretty, doesn't have to be great, just a basic table of the appropriate dimensions. And then build your own like framework onto the table, you know, glue some fabric down on the top of it, throw some two by fours or something around the edge, cover them in polyurethane, uh, and you can get a pretty serviceable, quote, gaming table without having to spend a fortune. Sure. I mean, there's a there's a pretty great miniature painter called Miniac on YouTube that people should check out if they're into that kind of thing. Um, and he put together a video a while back, maybe a year ago, where he tried to build his own gaming table. And it is one of the funniest, like, DIY disaster videos I've ever seen. Like, he fucked, really? it, up. He fucked it up 12 ways from Sunday. And he, and he, like, fully documented all the fuck-ups. And he's just a funny guy in general. So him criticizing himself and, like, running around the room screaming and, like, banging his head against the wall was, like, so, so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's not bad if you've ever done anything like it. But if you are completely technically, mechanically uninclined, I suppose it presents a lot of custom challenges. Maybe this way, if you were ever in the Boy Scouts, you can probably manage it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, every once in a while, I feel like I want to do something handy and I, I go off on a project like that. But uh, currently, it's more on the IP side of game design that I'm catching my interest. I don't know when I'll get handsy. Right, right. And then, you know, you have to have some place to do it and it does make a mess and, you know, what have you. And it, it but it's, it's, it's a fun little project, I suppose, um, if you have the opportunity. But I get, you know, at a certain, it, it's, it's a lot more palatable, palatable when you consider that to purchase a high quality product, you'd be in for thousands of dollars. It's like, okay, I should probably just probably maybe maybe i will try this for myself since it's going to cost me six thousand dollars to buy a comparable platform yeah i think i'll probably you know get my custom gaming woods urge taken care of by that wormwood kickstarter that's going on right now pretty sweet deals i'll have to look it up yeah i'll have to look it up it's like their dice holder slash character holder thing gotcha anyway uh i'm here i'm here i don't know if you're here i'm, I'm here. here and i'm i'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you uh, our show is produced by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection track your specs chat on discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby yeah you may as well just go ahead and do it because every week it's the same old story dude contacts me says hey i've been listening to the podcast forever don't know why I waited so long. Can I get into the Discord? We get them in. They go, holy shit. 
<laughs> why wasn't I in here sooner? So just get off your ass and get it done, folks, because you're missing out. Um, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles, including D&D products. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. What is on our agenda this week, partner? Well, James, this week we have a show in four parts. Segment one is our top movers. We'll look at the cards that have moved the most in price over the last week. Segment two, cards uh, cards to watch, cards James and I think are well-positioned for future gains. Segment three, our metagame we can review. We have a Star City Syracuse Modern Classic, as well as an MTGO PTQ, both modern. And finally, our topic of the week, we've got some more Throne of Eldraine spoilers, so we'll dip our toe into there and see what the latest batch has in store for us. Let's uh, let's start off the week here. First card, uh, one of my little projects, Spell Queller out of Eldritch Moon Foils, about 18 bucks, up to 38 for just about a double up, a little over. Uh, I wrote about Spell Queller about two weeks ago in the Watchtower series, um, and I know I talked about it a little bit on cast, I think, last week too, but... Uh, this is pretty well positioned, was was well positioned to begin with, and with the introduction of Stoneforge into Modern, um, it looks even better. You pair Stoneforge to Fairy and Spellqueller all together, and that's a great little combo that has a lot of uh, synergy. Um, so that's why we're seeing all that that excitement there. It's a top 50 card in Modern these days. Something like 13% of all decks on Magic Online are playing it, and they usually run about two copies. So... The fact that spirits and control builds both have need of the card um, and the result of Hogak being banned, including blue-white control builds of various varieties. Blue-white straight looks like the most uh, likely to continue with success, but there's also Jeskai builds running around and even Esper builds, um, especially with some of the new cards that from Thorn of Eldraine that we might talk about today um, looking more viable, so... Spellcore is not going anywhere, and it's not the kind of card that is likely to get a reprint um, super soon. Although, if we get a, a, a Master-style set announced, I would start considering that it might be on the docket. It's also the kind of card that could show up as a Judge promo at some point. Yeah, and I will say that, you know, reprints are always something we have to consider. And I do think that compared to other options... Uh, Spellqueller is more viable as a reprint than some of the other stuff we talk about. So it is not bulletproof. There's nothing about Spellqueller that says it couldn't show up in Throne of Eldrain or what have you. Um, spirits are pretty universal. The name's universal. So again, I, that, I'm not worried about it being reprinted right now, but it's not quite as bulletproof as some of the other stuff we talk about. Well, it does have a couple of good installation points. It's very unlikely to get reprinted into standard. I don't think they want it there. Um, and it's also very specific in terms of its the mechanical position it occupies as well as its uh, the uh, creature type. Um, and it's also not something they're going to put into an EDH deck or product. Um, it's not the right kind of card for the format. Yeah, I mean, like mechanically, it's a little weird, right? They have to have space for it. But the same, I would say that the same could be said of pretty much any card. Like most cards have caveats like that. What I'm what I'm thinking about is things like well, location specific names, um, keyworded mechanics, uh, 
characteristics of the card that make it difficult to reprint, like the dual flip cards, that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, compared to something like, say, Stoneforge Mystic, Stoneforge Mystic could have been in Throne of Eldraine. If they have the right mix of equipment, then the card is not very good in Standard, and you can safely print it there. Um, it's more. It was probably more an issue of its price point heading into that, and the set not necessarily needing or wanting the card that resulted in it not... Well, I guess we don't have the full set yet, but it doesn't look like it's there. Um, that artwork that looked like it was going to be Stoneforge Mystic is not Stoneforge not. Mystics. Although it really by the could way, have been. By the way, did you catch that one guy on uh, Reddit that who he posted? Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, but when that art was when the art was revealed, not the card, but the art, which was I don't know weeks or maybe even months ago, he posted a thread and said he will print the picture out and eat it if it's not a stone forgery print. So <laughs> rip that guy. Kind of wondering where yum, that goes. Yum, Good luck, yum. buddy. Yeah. That's unfortunate. People go way out on the limb. Um, next on the list, we got Dream Chisel uh, foils going from 1350 to somewhere in the mid 20s, high 20s, uh, on the back of Morph, and likewise Bane of the Living at Allegiance foils from five to say 10 to 12 dollars. Also Morph cards of interest. Um, then we got Edric Spymaster of Trest at a Conspiracy foils from nine to 25. That card's banned in EDH, so the only people playing it is it, it's banned in Legacy too, or is it? No, it's, it's no, it's legal in legacy, legacy. But but every version of this card spiked this week. Yeah, I, I get it confused uh, with Leovold. Okay. No, it is legal in legacy. Mm-hmm. Wait, was it in one of the legacy decks that did well this weekend? Uh, you know, I, I to be f- honest, I didn't check the legacy lists. I mean, I just I don't. Yeah, really it, it it was it was a two of in the sideboard of the deck that won. At the Star City Games Open in Syracuse. Oh, sorry. No, it wasn't. That no, was Leopold Leopold. Emissary. That was Leopold Emissary Trust. You can see I Boy, do you get weren't kidding about I wasn't, I wasn't. I wasn't lying. Something yeah, about, I was... Ho- I, I think because they both have Trust in their name. Uh, Spy yeah. Master of Trust, Emissary of Trust. Right. Uh, I mean, at this point, like, clearly something is out there because like multiple versions of the card showed up but at the same time i'm not seeing what it would be uh so i mean it's possible somebody just said hey today is leovold's day and went after them but more than likely people have keyed in on something and we're just missing it at the moment well the last foil printing was quite a while ago conspiracy is years and years ago um at this point so we haven't had foils for a while and conspiracy was a short run a short print run so and when was the first printing of that card? It was a non-foil, wasn't it? Uh, it was a commander product. Oh, so was, it a commander, was it a commander and... arsenal? Yes, commander arsenal, I think. So the cons- even the conspiracy non-foils popped. Conspiracy non-foils are on the list at $1.50 to like $4. And the conspiracy foils and the, uh, whatchamacallit, CMA foils. Yeah, so I'm, I'm I wonder. Also, I'm also dead wrong about this from from scratch because it's not banned in Commander. Leovold's banned in Commander. Edric's totally fine in Commander. It's in a thousand decks. Yeah, you're all over the place on that. Sorry, it's, uh, it's, it's a thousand decks as a Commander, as a card. Do do do. Loading the page. Five thousand decks. Okay, so let's let's yeah. start from the top here. Edric's by Master of Trust is a EDH staple. 
hence why the foils have dried up in lieu of a reprint for the last five years. I'm willing to bet that another writer somewhere covered this, given that we don't see any... Or we don't see, I'm going to say organic, meaning like there's no identifying event that I can point to that's causing this. And both, all three copies disappeared. Both copies out of Conspiracy and from, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, CMA. Because typically, if the card is on real short supply and we don't write about, if, if, if it's not written about by us or anyone else, you'll see like the foil will go on one week. And then the next week that we're recording, I see a different foil. And then the next week that we're recording, I see the non-foil. Whereas this time, I see all three at once, which just leads me to believe it was intentional. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Clearly, there's reason behind that, and I think it's valid. Yeah, the, the card's right. I'm all sorts of wrong. So we can yeah. move right along. Um Earwig squad at a morning tide foils from $2 to, in theory, 20 I think you'd be happy to get out at Probably eight to twelve dollars on those if you can find somebody that wants to take them off your hands. Draftness restoration out of antiquities looked like somebody took a swipe at that. It went the non non foils, yeah, because they're all non foils. Um, yep. <laughs> went from a dollar or two to like ten dollars plus. At one point, people had a couple copies posted like in the hundreds. That's amusing. Um, you know, I take your shot. <laughs> our, in, yeah, people in our Discord were unloading them closer to ten, which is just fine. And then yeah, the so totally fine. Final mover of the week. Uh, a pretty short list this week. Tome Scour. All sorts of the foils for this card popped off from like a dollar to say eight to twelve, depending on which version you're talking about. And this was on the back of Drown in the Lock being announced. Um, a card that looks like it wants uh, to have cards in your opponent's graveyard um, so that it can be more effective. Yeah, I, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't love this uh, because I played the blue back black mill deck a bit in modern uh, back before. It was a couple of years ago now. Um, and Tome Scour, I don't think is good enough anymore. Uh, although I suppose that the existence of this card makes hitting multiple cards into your opponent's graveyard on the very first turn more valuable than it was in the past because now you can tome scour on one untap with uh lock and be in pretty good shape uh where that wasn't as relevant in the past so maybe maybe tome scour makes it into the deck now just on that on the basis of that interaction the thing is that i don't even know that that deck wants to take off turn two to dick around with killing a creature when they can be glimpse the unthinkabling um it seems to me much more likely that tome scour would be like is esper control now viable and instead of serum visions and uh opt am i am i going to run tome scour to set up a four of of drown on the lock um and that's far-fetched enough overall (laughs) that i don't really want to be holding tome scour foils well yeah i mean i you're you're selling here no matter what because there are several printings of this and there's no reason to hang on i will say that having played the mill deck you don't you don't really need to worry about like taking turn two off because mill is like your opponent is alive and essentially at full health on one turn and then they're dead the next turn. Like it's just a light switch. So you can take turn two to just hang out, play a land, kill a problematic creature or counter a spell 
and then like on turn three or four or five just go mill 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 you're gone right like it's it works a little differently because you're essentially not applying pressure like a normal magic deck does um in any case, I'm not sure the person who bought Tomskour was quite this deep on it. They probably just saw a card that reward a, a card that one played on turn one rewards a turn two drawn in the lock. Fair enough. So end of quickest segment one, I think maybe ever. On uh, definitely up there. Segment two cards to watch. Um, fortunately, this is chock full of goodness. Uh, my first pick is should be obvious to everybody. I mean, it, the card is on everyone's lips, so I don't know what anybody's holding back on. Urza Lord High Artificer is a mythic out of the same set as Renin Six. It is the same rarity as that card, and yet you can still get Urza's around forty bucks, forty to forty-five. This is going to be a seventy to eighty-dollar card within the year. Um, the only thing that holds it back from getting there is if it is too good and modern and ends up being getting a piece of its puzzle banned. But something tells me it's just going to be tier one for ages. I would be really surprised to see Urza banned. Uh, maybe down the road, but I feel like you've got a long ramp to that because there are so many options along the way of cards that seem like they're probably more dangerous than Urza himself is. Well, one of the things that might prove our statements wrong is that Emery is being printed in with Throne of Eldraine. And that card has a couple different ways to go infinite with Urza pieces. And it wouldn't take more... Like, if the Urza deck got one or two really great upgrades, then it might be strictly too good. Hard to say. I mean, the, the, the deck is doing very well, but it's not degenerate in the same way that Hogak was, to my eye. At least so far. Yeah, it it's not... I agree. It's not at that level of raw degeneracy where it's just going nuts on turn two. It might be oppressive in how good it is, but that that's like a different vector on which a deck gets banned in modern, and that has to be really good, right? Like, think about how good Splinter Twin was, and that went years without getting touched. Uh, it's also not going to be cause like logistics issues in the way that like eggs did. So it doesn't really have that strike against it either. Um, in any case, I think Urza is very safe. And I, I think I, I wrote about Urza. I didn't talk about him on the cast, but I put Urza in one of my articles like three or four weeks ago. Cause I'm on board as well. I think Urza at like 40, 30, 40 bucks. I think I was like 35 when I wrote about him is fantastic. Like this card is probably a hundred dollars by the end of 2020. And it could be many months sooner than that. Yeah. I feel the same way. I, I went ahead and bought, picked. I mean, I've been importing them cheaply from Europe, but I went ahead and pull paid full freight minus ten percent with an eBay coupon just this morning on another place out of four. Even though I'm holding a whole bunch of Russian and English already, because um, I was just like, I, I I don't see the scenario where this turns out badly. I mean, the buy list for from CK is already pushing forty anyway in credit, so there's virtually no risk in holding them at this price. I, and by the way, I still think you can say Artificer. Urza Lord High, Artificer, Artificer. I think it works either artificer. way. Artificer. Artificer. Yeah, artificer. I'm okay with all of them. Artificer. The, um, artificer. the thing is, like, you even know, if actually, for some reason, if Urza got God. knocked off the podium for modern in some way and got cheap, he would just turn into a longer term spec for EDH anyway. Yeah. Where he's amazing. Yeah. 
and, Let me- and we'll make every every blue and blue red and Brea deck <laughs> from here to eternity. Let me put it this way. I have uh, a good chunk of Channel Fireball credit left over that I have been just pondering on what to do with. And I check their inventory every time I think about buying a card and they usually don't have any or they have like one type of thing. They've got 19 Urzas at 43 bucks. And I might just empty. I might just empty my store credit on that. Yep. To just like go in on a stack of Urzas and be done with it and then just wait until like February and have them be 80 bucks and unload them all then because then I don't have to deal with having to think about it. Centerpiece Mythics that are four ofs in their deck that posted up in tier one modern within three months before people even had time to fully refine the deck that may get additional cards to make the deck better as time goes on or even segue into some other like splint like fork in the road where there's a second version of the deck built around different pieces and combos um and tier one modern i mean edh play i mean it's hard to go wrong yeah Um, the 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 deck thing is totally legit because we're talking about him in the words deck but that's not even really exploring all of the rest of the that's not that's not using all the parts of the buffalo here like it's not taking yeah, he does. So I feel like there's definitely room to use him essentially as a combo piece in other strategies. Yep, yep. Be, anything that has Tolarian Academy <laughs> printed on it <laughs> will find other ways to be good. Yeah, no kidding. All right, your All first right. pick? Yeah, so I'm going to start this. Both of my cards this week are perhaps not the most exciting cards, but I think they're uh acceptable ways to approach the upcoming uh throne of Eldrain set i'm going to start with a pretty basic one uh giant harbinger i'm looking at foils out of lorwyn they're currently available at around a dollar so definitely supply has been picked out here a little bit uh there's only six foil copies on uh tcg player i don't think that the supply was terribly deep already anyways you know i would guess that before any information about throne of Eldraine was public there were probably maybe 15 maybe 20 sellers um tops uh we're seeing a bunch of giants in uh throne of Eldraine so far if we get a good giant commander which i would expect would show up then people are going to want to build some giant stacks if you're picking up foil harbingers at a dollar You'll be able to sell them for five bucks. It's not the most exciting. Um, and you may feel like it wasn't worth the time while you're filling out the envelopes, but it probably is still worth the time packing the envelopes for, you know, the $4 gain. Uh, so with a low supply, a return to a tribe, um, I think you're probably good for, you know, a play set. You could probably turn around maybe two play sets if you're feeling, if you find a good vendor. My urge is to criticize this pick, but it's kind of hard because I bought some of these (laughs) in foil Mm -hmm. in Europe two months ago when we first heard rumor that giants could be in this set. And I also Mm -hmm. bought some ancient amphitheaters that didn't make your list, but could have from on similar principles. Um, For the record, Harbinger is a three, four for four and a red that searches your library for a giant card and puts it on top of the the library. Um, So it's a pretty expensive giant tutor, but any if it if a giant deck ever takes off in edh that is giant themed this will be an auto include and as you said there's no supply already 
because Lorwyn foils are very hard to come by in general. A lot of those foils have never gotten reprints, including Harbinger. It's not crazy that they could print this card into Throne of Eldraine. We don't have the full set list yet. But my impression, and the reason that I felt bad about picking these up offhandedly on Magic Card Market earlier this summer, was because I realized that Giants was likely to turn out like dinosaurs. Not the main tribe for the set, but more of a sub-theme. With a, little, with a lot of flavor and not a lot of, of synergy necessarily. And, I, and it was unlikely to turn out that it had a Risen Reef type card that was going to bind the whole thing together. Or, and, and it was a question mark whether you were going to get the, com, the, com, the giant commander that you're referring to. Now, as of today, we have in fact um, had a giant commander revealed. We got Yorvo, Lord of Garenbrig, but he's a green He's triple green, mm-hmm. and he's giant noble that enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on him, and whenever another green creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on him. Then if that creature's power is greater than your vo's power, put another plus one plus one counter on your vo. So now you still, you kind of want a Naya giant commander to show up in this set. However, there may be a point of redemption that I'm spotting down the road, because it occurs to me that in the same way that Core and Throne of Eldraine have clearly been setting up the Theros set with uh, all the pips necessary for devotion support, maybe these giants are also leading into... What's the name of that set we're getting after Theros? I- Ikora? Uh, uh, yeah, something Ikoria. about monsters. Ikoria. I suspect Ikoria is basically Godzilla World. And Godzilla World could easily have giant as a creature type. Like giant lizard, giant moth, giant whatever. And that could be their tricky little way of tying the giant cards together. Yeah, you could see them return there. You could they could bring them back in Theros as well. We could have well, giants in Theros. I, I think you're right. That actually is a good point. They they did have giants last time on that world and they probably will again. Yeah, and you know this is this is one of those cards where uh, I'm aware of the you know it's it's sort of lukewarm ish, but you're hoping to sell like it doesn't matter how popular it really gets so much as if you have copies on hand when the general is spoiled, the last couple of copies on TCG will disappear and you might be able to flip yours to the other people trying to sell, you know, trying to spec type of thing. So it's like, you don't even necessarily need people to go all in on giants so much as you need people to want to buy Harbinger for whatever purpose that may be, even if it is other speculators. I will not pull these out of my spec box to to aim for the $4. Unless there's a buy list play at $4. If it gets to 7 8 9 wake me up. That's like the bare minimum I'm willing to post to eBay. Yeah, yeah. I And at eBay, yeah, I, I go a little higher as well. But, you know, I think that this is an opportunity for some of our listeners who may not be able to look at a stack of 20 $40 Urzas and go, yeah, I should grab those. Like, <laughs> not everyone has quite as much capital on hand as you or I do at times. I mean, if you if you have a casual purpose for giant cards and you happen to be able to snap one of these foils off under two bucks, easy breezy, because they're not coming down anytime soon. And at some point, you're going to get a giant, a, a multicolored giant commander that might make people want to play giants. Um, all right, my next pick is 
Totally different card. Not niche in the slightest. This is a multi-format all-star. Arkham's Astrolab. We've talked about this card before. Um, I'm calling the foils here from 15 to 25. And I think going after the non-foils in and around even a dollar is probably just fine. I think Astrolab in 18 months is going to be a $3 common. Maybe buy list at $3. And you're going to get a really nice exit here. Astrolab is absolutely everywhere. It fixes well in modern. It's showing up in a bunch of different decks. And it just showed up in the Legacy event this weekend as a four of in the winning deck. Wow. Grixis Control ran four Arkham's Astrolab, a mixture of four color control cards that we'll get into in segment four, segment three. Um, But the bottom line is Astrolab's all over the place. The foils are drying up. They're going to push 20. Then they're going to push 25. They might even push 30. I'm being a little conservative at 25. But if you were in on these earlier at 5 or 10, good on you. I don't think it's too late to get on the train, though, and it's certainly not a card I would be selling in any form right now. I think selling this card is wildly premature. It's going to generate better ROI than the rest of the Magic market, and I think it's a buy-buy-buy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Astrolabe is a card. You're you're doing the Watchtower Greatest Hits Tour here because I wrote about Astrolabe last week or the week before, uh, the foil specifically, Um, and I, I, I want to hit a note here that uh, people might be like, oh, I just read about this in Travis's article last week. I feel like I'm getting gypped that James is talking about it this week. Uh, we kind of do all of this independently. Like, I know James is not reading my article most weeks, probably if ever. And we don't tend to discuss a lot of our stuff until, like, we sit down and start filling out the spreadsheet. We kind of operate independently in that regard. So if we both pick the same card, like, r- right around the same time, that means we both independently came to the conclusion that it's a good pick. Um, well, and more so, and more to the point, MG Finance is not it's not important to be original. Like if if there was a, a a dead obvious pick that was the obvious correct pick every week for three weeks, then I would have no hesitation to pick it over and over again. If they left, <laughs> you know, if somebody left a bunch of Modern Horizon boxes on a table somewhere at a hundred bucks and they were just sitting around, and people didn't buy them because they were like, well, they're not selling out, can't be that popular. <laughs> Trust me, I would scoop as many as my bank account would support. Yeah. Um, in any case, I definitely like Astrolab. I think it is definitely destined for a $25, $30 foil. Um, the card has just seen so much play in Legacy, in Popper. Modern, specifically Popper. I mean, it's just all over the place. It's it's a really strong card. I don't know when they would print it again. Like If they didn't put this in Modern Horizons with a clear plan of when they would put it in again then it seems like it's going to be here for it's going to be a while before we see any reprints um so i think this is this is good stuff right here for sure yeah all right tell me about your other giant card uh i got a giant pile of specs this week um the other card for me this week is uh, another giant card, Sunrise Sovereign. Uh, also out of Lorwyn, also foils. These ones are a little more expensive, like a dollar, a dollar fifty. This guy's a, a bit fatter. Rather, uh, he is uh, is a six mana five five that gives other giants you control two two and trample. Um, so other giants getting two two and trample is a pretty big payoff there, I would say trample especially so if you're going to build an, a giant commander deck it's hard to imagine he doesn't make the cut uh again like i said only foils and lorwin dollar 50 um supply is a little deeper than giant harbinger instead of six vendors there's like 12 
but he's kind of in the same boat, right? Like all we need to see is a couple people decide to build giant EDH decks. The last of these foils will be gone. You'll sell them for five, six, maybe seven bucks, uh, and you'll be happy about it. Just don't buy more than five or six copies. Yeah, I feel like these giant specs will turn out very similarly to ninja specs that were made um, late spring when the rumor was that ninjas were going to be in Modern Horizons, and it turned out that theme was relatively shallow. But in similar fashion, they may end up be looking smart down the road, because <laughs> eventually you will hit a Japanese-themed magic set. That's inevitable. Japan is the second uh, biggest market for magic in the world. They will do it some service at some point. Um, when they feel like they can do it uh, in a politi- politically correct fashion, since that is on the agenda, or at least on their radar these days. Um, uh, debatable whether Kaladesh really hit the, that note well, but you know we'll see how it goes next time. Bottom line, uh, Giants could turn out to be, as we said, in the next couple of sets. So this and Ancient Amphitheater is the giant dual land from Lorwyn that could pull a secluded Glen if Giants gets popular enough. Yep. Yeah, Ancient Amphitheater is not bad. I, I I skimmed over it. It was the only car, only other card in all the giant stuff that I saw that seemed viable. There were other cards that I think are fine, um, or I should say would be fine were it not for the fact that they are uh, were in Modern Masters because there was a giant sub theme in Modern Masters. So um, you know, like Thunderclaw Shaman and a couple others showed up as uncommons in that set, which kind of put a little too much supply in the market for a product for a set of cards that you already weren't going to have the deepest supply uh, pool of demand on. Yeah. All right. So my final pick this week is Mox Amber. We're touching this again. This has got to be the third time this card might make people money in 2019. Um, I think that the horizon on this, the last two times we called this, they were short term. They worked out. I made a bunch of money on this card already. Um, and for a card that hasn't been played all that that much in modern, uh, people sure seemed eager to bite off a set. The thing here is this card is not important in standard right now, um, but it is already reported in 5,000 decks on EDH rec. So it's got an EDH pedigree um, equivalent to Edric's by Master of Trest, which is a significantly older card in a significantly shorter period of time. So that tells you something. Um, I mean... That format and any other variant of that format that uses a legendary creature as the linchpin of the deck um, is p- potentially going to want Mox Amber, depending on what what the preponderance of legendary permanence is in the rest of the deck. Um, the other thing is that you're seeing Mox Amber start to show up, and people are talking about it alongside Emery out of Throne of Eldraine um, in decks that would run like potentially for Astrolab, for Mox Amber, for Mox Opal, and do busted things on like turn two or three. So Amber's rotating, doesn't seem to be experiencing much downward pressure. If you feel like waiting four to six weeks and seeing how many copies get dumped in the market and whether you can pick them up in the six to $10 range, by all means, hold off, take your shot a little further down the road, you'll probably be doing just fine. But I'm not scared to pick these up at 12 today um, because if I get a chance at them cheaper, I'll just be dollar cost averaging. I think this is like a 12 to 18 month play now, probably to go to from like 10 to 12 up to 20. Um, but I don't see them reprinting this card anytime soon. Um, between Amber and Tantalite, I feel like they've scratched their mediocre mocks itch for a while. And I, I think that they'll leave that <laughs> leave that be for a bit. 
Uh, yeah, Mox Amber is a card that seems like it's really has multiple venues of demand and none of them are firing on all four cylinders yet, but there's just so many different ways a card can be pulled. I'm definitely interested in this based on the spoiling of Emery, which I think like a lot of players, I kind of overlooked when it, she first hit the spoiler and then Sam Black started talking about her and people were like, oh, this card's actually nuts. I think there's probably some real strong potential there uh, alone. Uh, so... You know, these might bottom out a little bit at rotation, like you said. That doesn't mean that they're a bad pickup now. Uh, and I, I think that of all of the funky moxes we've seen, Amber seems the most well positioned, especially since it seems to play, it plays very well with Mox Opal. Um, and one mana legendary creatures are seemingly more common than they used to be. Um, so there's definitely some viability out there for, for making this card work very early on in a game i designed a nice version a nice spin on these this like overpowered low cast and cost artifact a few weeks back where you tap it and return it to your hand to make a treasure token and it costs one so you can basically build the treasure tokens up over time well if wizards prints that no i mean it's, it's a... power nine level like they're, they're not going to print that <laughs> it's just a cool design um as you lean into the treasure token concept, like what does treasure tokens plus power nine look like? Probably something like that. Um, yeah. All right. Metagame week in review. Uh, let's talk a little bit about things that went on this weekend. The big event was the legacy star city games open Syracuse, which as I said earlier, was run by one by Grixis control, whole bunch of snow covered lands in that deck. Well, a whole bunch for legacy three. <laughs> Seven creatures, two Baleful Strix, two Plague Engineer, three Snapcaster Mage, and then basically all the good control spells. Three Abrupt Decay, four Brainstorm, three Fatal Push, four Force of Will, Coligan's Command, Liliana's Triumph, four Ponder, two Thought Seize, a Tyrant's Scorn, and then four Arkham's Astrolab, three Jace the Mind Sculptor, and three Renin Six. Wow, that's a pile of hot cardboard. Oh, why are you making me talk about Legacy? I don't want to talk about Legacy. Well, it doesn't matter. you can argue that Legacy is still played enough that it will help put pressure on foils for things like Arkham's Astrolab, and probably contributed to why Renin 6 is out ahead of Urza. Uh, yeah, I mean, to, yes, I'm being a smartass, but yeah, that's accurate, that it's not going to drive any prices, but like Renin 6 being played in Legacy certainly helps its claim here. What? Meanwhile, by the way, did you notice that four out of the top eight is Rug Delver? That is, uh, that's rough looking. Dreadhorde Arcanus is apparently legit in Legacy here. Yep. Indeed it is. Um, so in that event, it was Grixis Control, Storm, Loam, Blue Red Delver, Elves, Blue White X Control, Hogak, and Loam. Um, I don't know where you're seeing the four Rug Delver lists. Canadian, so in the Star City Classic, oh, are you looking at the? You're looking at the open. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, there it is. Okay, I clicked on the wrong link on the the uh, MTG Top Eight page. The Star City Classic had, first of all, the winning list apparently was almost card for card of the one you read out, and had four Rug Delvers in the top eight. Mm -hmm. That was the Legacy Classic they ran. They also ran a, there was a MTGO Modern PTQ, um, 
over the weekend, and that was Jun- 400 players, Jund, Urza, Creatures Toolbox, so that's Finale of Devastation, etc. Um, Dredge, Eldrazi Tron, Stoneblade, Urza, and Blue-White X midrange. Um, and the Urza now, decks, I- noticeably, are still running Goblin Engineers over Stoneforge Mystics. But Yeah. But the Jeskai I- uh, control deck has your full complement of Foil Spellcaller. Yes. I was talking to a buddy of mine who plays a lot of competitive magic and he was saying that Stoneforge Mystic is actually a really big get for the Vizier deck and I'm surprised not to see it in this list uh, because apparently that deck is terrible against Burn which I wouldn't have expected out of, out of a small green-white creature deck um, but I guess they're really soft to Burn so being able to batter skull, Stoneforge for batter skull and turn 2 is a real big get for them and gives them another uh, kind of vector of attack here so pretty big deal for that well, deck they, i also noticed they moved into a lot call pretty hard which i wouldn't have expected i would have expected more uh quarter calling that doesn't surprise me because to to if eladamri's call was a sorcery it probably wouldn't be in the list but as an end of end of speed end of turn tutor to get the second piece you can just snap untap and win um and then the other angle they've got is they're running four Oath of Nyssa to lean into four Karn the Great Creator and four Teferi Time Reveler. Yeah. Karn and, Karn and Teferi yeah, Oath of Nyssa is already. And Teferi has broken into the top 10 most played cards in the format, if I'm not mistaken. This is just a unconventional list across the board, I guess, for, uh, for Devastation builds. Yeah, Teferi... Definitely, definitely playing the planeswalker game here that teferi and karn both picks of ours in the last few months teferi is the 10th most played card in modern right now 22 percent of decks running it average of two copies each the only legitimate three casting cost card in the top 10 and then karn is the only legitimate four casting cost card in the top 30 uh no cryptic command plus karn i guess but cryptic command comes in at 28th karn is number 12 um 12 of decks running 3.7 copies those picks are looking rock solid. If they post up in, it's amazing to think like they feel like they've been around forever. They're so powerful. This year has been so full of magic action and churn in modern as a format specifically. It's hard for me to believe that Ultimate Masters was less than a year ago. That name seems like it's from eons <laughs> ago. And yeah, I have forgotten about the I forgot about the box toppers yeah. nine months ago. And and Karn and Teferi are less than six months old <laughs> and and they are 10th Jeez. and 12th in the format war of the spark boxes I, I wouldn't give up on japanese war of the spark boxes people haven't talked about those in a while you should probably be stashing them away because i was selling those to people at 220 or something us they got i told people they were going to get down to about 140 to 160 sure enough you can get caught you can get boxes now on ebay with the hype cycle faded at about 140 but Long term, they are not going to be $140 boxes. Like, forget the Liliana. Foil Teferis and Karns and Nisas and some of this other stuff for EDH and Modern, it's just going to be... The set is so full of good Planeswalkers. There's going to be demand for that set for years. Yeah, those... Uh, the, the the Japanese art Karn is actually probably the best, in my opinion, the best all art out of that set, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still like the Amano better, but it's real close. Like, the Karn is quite good. Um, and I've got tons of those stashed away. So, Meanwhile, these other lists look like they're from 
a month ago. Like there's an Eldratron list that's not running Stoneforge after uh, was it Ali Warfield had a really good performance with Green White Tron with Stoneforge in it. The creature's toolbox is missing Stoneforge. It's kind of weird that these guys maybe they just don't have them in Syracuse. Well, clearly the format is there's a lot of jostling in the list. Like we have Canister, the guy out of Germany who's put up some good performances and just uh, top aided with his team this weekend. Um, on, all of them on Urza. Um, was calling Urza week last week after he flunked out of a modern Magic Online event at like 2-2 two and two or something and said that he, he didn't think the deck was that great. He was also saying Stoneforge was clearly going to be better than Engineer and now he's back on Engineer. So top intellects in the game are still pinballing around trying to figure out exactly what makes sense here. But I'll tell you this much, Urza runs four Arkham's Astrolab too. Yep. <laughs> and they, there's... They seem to be settled on Engineer, not Stoneforge. So. Yeah, so I noticed over in the Modern Classic, Star City Modern Classic, not the PTQ, there is a uh, Finale Devastation list that runs, you know, it doesn't run the Planeswalker package, and that has the four Stoneforges in it. Yeah. Uh, an Urza Tron, two Urza decks, an Urza and an Urza Tron. What the hell is the difference between these? I guess Urza Tron. Oh, Oh, or that, duh, what is the difference? Of course, that's a difference. Or is it Tron? It's a completely different list. Tron is also, honestly, probably the best deck in modern right now, uh, as much as we don't want it to be. Yeah, and it's it's hard to imagine banning something out of Urza when Tron has been left alone for so long. Yeah, and they're about to get, uh, whatchamacallit, Once Upon a Time, too. I don't know if they want it or if they want four of it, but they have the option for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have our boy Danny Fournier on the show either next week or the week after to talk Throne of Eldraine. We were, he and I were chatting about uh, Once Upon a Time, and he said he hasn't made up his mind yet whether that card is unplayable trash or utterly broken for modern. There's no way that card is unplayable trash. No possible way. The, the premise behind that statement is that if you don't have that on turn one or two, then now you're drawing an underpowered card that's real slow and modern. I mean, yes, but like, so it's so good for free that I don't care that I have to draw a slightly underpowered card on turn five. Like, isn't that true with tons of magic cards? We got to get it, Dan it, it, on it, here because I want to yell, yell at him about this. It does feel like a lot of creature combo decks are going to be pretty stoked to have that potentially in their quiver from here till whenever um and interesting to note that let's say that historic replaces modern at some point this will be a pretty powerful historic card if you took modern and lopped off 20 sets or 30 sets or 40 sets and you basically had like standard plus with like four or five years worth of sets cards like once upon a time are going to be real good yeah yeah when you cut down some of the power level that's in modern stuff like this that's like borderline not i shouldn't say borderline but you know sort of doesn't blow people out of the water quickly becomes the best spell in the format when you start our boy in japan uh the the japan hobbyist who's an expat from the u.s living over there and um, was doing a podcast a frontier podcast for a few years and is switching over to doing a historic podcast because they're putting their eggs in the basket that wizards will double down on historic and paper and that having a being out in the front of the content stream for that will be valuable. Um, if it turns out that that's correct, and you believe that that's coming in the next, say, three to five years, 
uh maybe two to five years would probably be the soonest i could see it being like a real thing as opposed like maybe you see a try it out event in 12 to 18 months but probably doesn't take hold for a while keep in mind there was a long period of time like 2010 11 12 13 14 where people still thought legacy was the main deal and modern was the pretender and <laughs> so keep in mind we may go through a phase like that for the, for this pair of formats um but if you believe you know that that is coming in paper then you definitely want to keep your eye on overpowered stuff that's good enough to get played in modern and will be left alone with a hundred less good cards <laughs> in historic. Yeah, that I mean it's a wild and, and, wild west there. And, and, and I mean some other things like that, of course, would be like Teferi and Karn the Great Creator. I mean, those cards seem bonkers in an extended standard. Uh did you catch the what is it? Momir on MTGO Arena, or I should say just Arena. Uh I guess they, they put the cues out for Momir again, which are not always up, but it includes creatures that were not previously in Arena. So like Iona is in the uh, the Momir cues now. And it's like, well, this was not yeah. in any sets on Arena. Well, and did they well, add said, these creatures just for Momir? Well, the, on that topic, yeah, my understanding is that that is what happened. But they have said that they're going to add cards straight to Arena. They've already they announced that a, a while back, so they're just going to print cards into Arena that they feel like should be there. Um, uh, presumably to presumably to manicure historic at some point. Right. Well, that's kind of my point. Is like that seems like a a, a lead to historic if they're putting those in there, right? Like, well, I can't it, imagine it, it, they would they would put cards into into Arena specifically for Momir. They have other plans. Well, cards. it behooves you to figure out which cards they wouldn't leave behind. So I think something like a Mox Opal or an Ancient Stirrings has a very good chance of being left in the dust. They don't really want those cards in the format. If they can transition to Historic successfully and ditch those cards, they'll be happy to. Um, but something like uh, Abrupt Decay or Assassin's Trophy or Fatal Push or Path to Exile, they might decide that those are really solid cards and that that's the kind of removal they want to have. And those cards might transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I don't have like a major takeaway from the existence of it on Arena. My I just noticed it because they must have plans for those other than just the Momir cues. And I kind of wonder what kind of clues that gives us for uh, historic well, I mean, I think, paper. I, I don't see it as any kind of like grand conspiracy around historic. I think that they know it's an option. No, and it's they're not gonna, a conspiracy. And they're gonna and they're gonna see how it plays out step by step. First yeah. things first. Let's see how it does on Arena. Um, and then, you know, they'll, they'll feel their way through. All right. So we didn't have a lot of, a lot of news in the, in the, uh, industry this week, but we did have plenty of fresh spoilers from Throne of Eldraine. So we may as well call out some of the stuff that caught our eye. For sure. Uh, top of my list here is, let me find the name of it. The Cauldron of Eternity. Holy moly. Oh, uh, yeah. So 12 mana on the card, but realistically, you're never really going to pay more than two for this. Because it costs two less for every creature card in your graveyard. So once you hit five creatures, this thing is now only two mana. Um, and it's three mana tap, reanimate a creature. It has to be from your graveyard. So you have to mill your own creatures. And once stuff starts dying, it goes back into your library. So you can't like chain together stuff. But 
you know, so on modern, you can turn zero or start it, start a turn one, once upon a time, draw land, dump three creatures within your graveyard, play a land, play like Oath of Nyssa or Ancient Stirrings, get a second land, dump more creatures into your graveyard, turn two, play Cauldron of Eternity, turn three, reanimate anything, and have like three or four more creatures in your graveyard to reanimate every turn after that. Doesn't this thing make its way into your Sidisi Brew Tyrant deck? Uh, no, because that is very specifically a zombie token deck, not a like graveyard deck. But it doesn't need to be, because your first trigger is enters the battlefield or attacks, but the top three cards of your library in your graveyard. So that's stalking the graveyard alongside a bunch it's, of other stuff. It's not meant to be a great deck. It's meant to be a good zombie token deck sure sure but I'm, I'm not talking about okay necessarily your build but ah we can agree that there is a sadisi build that does want cauldron oh probably almost all of them yeah well like for I instance like moldrotha might not because moldrotha wants to cast it of the graveyard all the time so as soon as cauldron's in play you've got to start making choices y- yes i mean that what moldrotha specifically right uh marin i guess probably wouldn't either i would say Pretty much any green-black commander that isn't Bodrotha or Marin is probably interested in it. It's a very powerful card. I would imagine a lot of decks are going to be interested in taking advantage of this in EDH. I was thinking about Modern, but for EDH, this thing is great because it's very rare that this isn't just going to cost you two mana, and you're probably going to have creatures that you're happy to get back into play. Uh, and also, if people wrath the board... Now, instead of the creature going to your graveyard where you might not have a lot of ways to get it back after that, like it's now tutorable again or what have you. So Cald- Cauldron reeks to me of a paradox engine type card. It looks great on on spoilers. It doesn't really come together for standard. There's a jank deck in modern that never top eights anything. The card gets cheap. We buy it up. It gets it becomes a relative staple in, in EDH and the foils dry up 12 to 18 months out and people are like, what? Ooh, that's I don't know if I'm if I'm that on board with this. I okay, think Paradox this... Engine was a nine for Commander. What do you put this at? Seven, six. Okay. I, I, I think I'm in I think seven. Seven is I'm comfortable with. The it's got a black color requirement and it does require some shenanigans around managing your graveyard stash. So whereas Paradox Engine just really wants you to be doing like having a desire to be untapped every turn, which is less of a less of a restriction for sure. Um, how about this pushed uh, one two overwhelmed apprentice for a oh, blue yeah. human wizard? Whenever it enters the battlefield, each opponent puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard, setting up uh, drown on the lock or whatever it's called, and then you scry two. Yeah, this thing is nuts. Like I read this and I'm like, wow, that thing is going to be all over standard and is probably modern playable that car that guy is just really surprisingly good for like i guess so here's my thought they printed this because they're trying not to print one mana cantrips anymore so they're putting them on creatures because they're not spells that's my read here does that make sense I, i feel like i feel like this card could have been in modern horizons as a common oh yeah 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 
Each it just opponent. got that. It's just got a little, a little. I was going through Modern Horizons comments today, a bunch of ones that no one ever talks about, and I noticed a bunch of cards where I was like, "Like these are really high power level cards that are basically being treated like bulk." Like the even just the two two snow creature for one snow mana. It's just a, it's just a straight up common two two is if you make it with a snow basic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not exciting in modern. But that's still way up the curve for a for a one drop. Yeah, I, let me just say I think that uh, overwhelmed apprentice foils are probably the next monastery swift spear foils. Yep, that is true. my guess. So one of the other ones we saw, uh, we we talked about Yorvo earlier. That slots so well into the, all the plus one plus one counter carrying commanders in uh, in EDH. Atraxa attracts the counters certainly wants it like not attracts the planeswalkers but attracts the counters will absolutely play this guy he oh, i'm sorry which card stuff yorvo garen brig uh, yeah the one that whenever okay. another green creature enters the battlefield under your control you put a counter on him that yep, if yep. the creature's power is greater than his you put another counter on him so under doubling seasons and all the counter doublers um he does busted busted action yeah he's, he's um cool. The you and I both thought that giant was pretty impressive. Realm cloaked giant. This is a seven drop, but it's basically a potentially one sided wrath. Destroy all non giant creatures for three and two white um, off the adventure side of the card, and then it goes to exile, and you can cast yourself a seven seven vigilance for seven on the backside should you so choose to. Yeah, I actually think this card is. Nuts. I should, I shouldn't. Maybe nuts is a little strong. I think Salt Realm Cloak Giant could be, and it always depends on what the meta game looks like, right? But Realm Cloak Giant, I would say, is in the running for most standard relevant mythic or close to it um, that we've seen so far. You figure a five mana sorcery is already going to see pretty solid play in standard. Um, the fours are very conditional. They're multiple colors. Uh, the fives are where they give you stronger wraths. Like we know that those see play and as rares, they usually hang around at a couple dollars, even, uh, end hostilities. I remember was one of them that saw a fair bit of play. And I think there's been some more since then. It's been a little, I'd have to go back and check. So he's just on the front half, just as the adventure, you get a five minute wrath, five minute wrath. The non giant is likely mostly irrelevant in terms of downside. I'm not guessing it's going to be too common that your opponents are going to be playing enough giants where this is a concern for you. But this is what I mean about it being meta dependent. Maybe that flame tongue Kabu giant ends up being good enough that he's in a bunch of lists, even that don't care about him being a giant. He just happens to be a giant. And it turns out that this wrath is bad because it can't answer him and you have to answer him a lot. Like those things can happen. But assuming that that's not the case, uh, the non giant clause isn't a problem for you. And in fact, can be a benefit because you can play like the flame tongue Kabu giant who maybe isn't quite good enough, but when you get to wrath and keep him, he suddenly looks a lot better. You know that you've got that synergy. So it seems like it's more likely that you will take advantage of the non-giant synergy than it will hose you. And then after you cast that wrath, it draws you a 7-7 vigilance. Like just for free. You just have that card. Uh, do you need it? Maybe. Maybe not. Like that's the three quarters. No. How, what is the percentage of the adventure frame relative to the rest of this card? Like 
78% of this card is just bonus. The the 22% of the card face that says that's all the adventure text is the part that matters. And the rest of it is just like, oh, you also get this. So I, I really do think that Realm Cloak Giant looks fantastic. We haven't seen the rest of the set, so we don't know how many great giants we're getting. And it looks like they're pushing people more into a knight deck than it does into the into a giant deck. But they did give it show us that red giant that's basically a flame tongue cavu. Bone yeah. Crusher Giant. That's the yeah. one that deals two damage to any target uh, for one and a red as an instant. And then when it comes into play, if it's the, if it becomes the target of a spell, it deals two damage to that spell's controller. So between that and the white one, you've got the startings of something. Whether the rest of that is going to fill in, I'm not sure. Um, worth noting that the... If that deck wants to ramp hard, they do have Iron Crag Feet available to them. One triple red adds seven red. Mm-hmm. And you can only cast one more spell this turn. That's a lot of mana. <laughs> also mm-hmm. the art that people thought was Stoneforge Mystic. Yep, yep, there it is. Uh, yeah. How about these this cycle of lands, too? I think people are sleeping on these, but... From a financial perspective, I don't see them being four ofs unless Theros po- pushes us so hard into monocolored decks that you can run multiple of these uh, without penalty. Because if there's, a say, a mono green deck on the back of some new, what is the name of the green god on Theros? Uh, Nelia. Right. If Nylea is a mono-green devotion deck that can run four Castle Garen Brig, then these could end up worth money. Like, these could be $6 to $8 cards, and if you can get in on them cheaper, then get on you. The thing is, they're not legendary. So the cost to play them is virtually nothing. So I actually think most standard decks probably start with three to four of these. Unless you are, even if you're, if you're, if you're three colors, probably not. If you're three colors, you're not playing these really. If you're two colors, you're probably paying, playing a pair of them or like, I would say between three and four total across your colors. And if you're, if you are monocolor, you're probably just playing all four. Um, but you know, if we're talking about two color decks, which I think are kind of the standard, you can still get a couple of these in your list. And if you're playing like green, white, maybe. Maybe it just so happens you want all the green ones and none of the white ones, or you know you don't have to have an even split. But you know, Castle Garen Brig is a land that taps for two mana. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of mana at the start, but like it is still a land that taps for two. Um, and Castle Vantress is insane in long games. Like Scrying Two is by the time you're able to activate Castle Vantress, you're probably I would say Scrying Two is probably better than drawing a card actually. I would imagine um, blue-white control in modern. You'll have to run this by Fournier, but I, I, I think Castle of Interest probably ends up as a one-of in control yeah. decks in modern. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I don't think we can do a lot with that information, but I, I would agree with you. Garen now, Brig seems like the most breakable here. I, I think it's the best spec. Garen Brig foils, if they get cheap, because they're not doing anything right up front, would be what I'd be looking for. Because best art, it is basically a Temple of the False God in EDH. Um, in modern, it could be a four of in a primeval Titan build. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, you can turn one Arbor Elf 
turn two, you play this. I think there's a way. I think you can. I think you can activate this on turn two, but maybe not. Uh, Ross Miriam posted a list where he thought you could do it on like get a primeval titan on three, but it turns out there was a there there was a there was a flaw in his turn sequence on turn two. So I haven't seen a refined list around Garen Brig, but the combination of some modern potential plus this is just going to be a fantastic EDH card. means i'm definitely going to end up owning some of these foils yeah um and i think that the black one the blue one and the white one are all probably going to see i I would guess 18 months out these will be in 1500 to 3000 decks on edh rec yeah yeah i think that's probably fair they're you know they're not something i would go to as a deck builder in edh too often but i think people will have them in their hands they, you know, it'll be people who are a little more casual about it and they'll go, oh yeah, this is cool. This fits in my deck and they'll put it in and they'll be happy with it. I mean, if you're playing like a mono blue commander like Urza or something in commander, like you're slamming this in because there's no downside. Right. Yeah. The only downside is, uh, do I want a different car? You know, do I have enough room in my land slot? Yeah. The thing is because these tap for blue, like they tap for their color. And their only precondition is that you need to control an island. If you're playing a monocolor commander, then a large proportion of your mana base is either snow basics or basics. So yep. these things will be turned on a lot. Yep. And and because they these respond to shock lands, they yep. have a greater chance of sliding into modern. Yep. They don't require basics. It's just the land type. Yep. So and um, I, the red one, by the way, also looks very well positioned for standard, but. Um, like most red cards, especially standard cards, I don't really have a lot to do with that. Not really sure where to go with that. It it could be. It's probably the most likely to be a four of in standard. Yeah. Because if there's yeah, a mono red egger deck, and there almost always is. Yep. Uh, what do you think about acclaimed contender here? This seems like the first night that we've seen that really pushes the tribe. Um, a three mana three three which is, you know, of a relevant creature type, which is playable at the outset. And then you look at the top five cards uh, and then you get to reveal a knight aura equipment or legendary artifact. That is a lot of different things that you can find to put in your hand. That card probably is going to see a bunch of standard play and a bunch of commander play and will be in demand and foil and will be one of... Probably one of the top 10 extended arts from the collector booster packs. All right. I'm going to have to pause you. Commander play? Sure. Because it can go get orders, equipment, or legendary artifacts. Well, it's not a tutor. It just looks at the top four. Top five. But if your deck is built around... There are a bunch of decks that are built around that kind of thing. So, like, what's the uh, SRAM? Like, all the the equipment matters decks? Yeah, but... Yeah, SRAM is probably playing it, but it's not like SRAM is a big part of EDH. Sure, but Aura is any Aura. Equipment, any equipment. Legendary artifacts, there's plenty of those. The The problem is that a 3 mana is generally meaningless. A 3-3 three, three is generally meaningless, so sure. you're essentially playing this just for the tutor and like a disposable body. I guess I, I, I'm looking at this. I'm not saying no one will play it because people will, but it's definitely not the type of card that I would be eager to put in my deck. 
Maybe you're right. I mean, if it wasn't, if it didn't, if it said artifact and not legendary artifact, then it would probably open it up a lot more. Um, if, it tutored, escape... if it tutored, I'd give it to you. <laughs> escape to the wilds. Uh, three red green. Exile the top five cards of your library. You may play cards exiled this way until the end of your next turn, and you may play an additional land this turn. Does that ring any bells for you? Yeah, I, I do think that this is another attempt at drawing a kind of a five or six mana draw spell in red or green that doesn't just say draw cards. You know, they don't want to give us harmonize or trying to come up with some clever way to do it. Uh, seems like one of the better attempts at this so far. Uh, but it I don't think I don't think this is it. Not unless there's a very specific, really good red green deck that can afford to take turn five completely off, essentially. Um which generally is where red green decks are kind of hitting their stride, right? Like that's when they're topping out their curve and trying to apply the last bit of pressure they need to sort of overcome their opponent and close out the game. Uh, if you take turn five off to draw a couple cards, you might be giving your opponent time to, for instance, wrath, uh, and then set you back far enough that they can take control of the game from there. So they're not you know, they're not trying to kill you on turn three the way red decks are, but turn five is pretty important. That said, this essentially draws you five cards and lets you go to seven. Let's say you play this on, you play your fifth land, you put this in the play. You play your fifth land, you play this, then you go to six land. So you're on you're on seven mana on your sixth turn as well. So it's a cool effect. I just have a hard time believing it will be good enough. It feels to me like a bring delight type card maybe there's a deck in standard maybe there's something super janky in modern it probably sees some modicum of edh play but it's going to take a while for the cards to do anything financially yeah yeah i there's, i feel cheap. like i feel like a bad magic salvation poster saying this but if this was a mana or two cheaper sure if this was three for the exact same effect i think now you have an interesting standard card sure how about fey of wishes the Fey whose adventure allows you to choose a non-creature card you own from outside the game, reveal it, and put it into your hand for four mana at sorcery speed. Uh, this card is what they warned against when they talk about complexity creep. <laughs> this is there's a lot on this card to process. Yeah, because then feels it, like it, it exiles a it. flying one four that when it comes that comes in play, one in a blue, discard two cards, return it to your hand, and then you can do it all over again. This feels like I'm reading a time spiral card. Uh, I get that sensation from it where I'm like, there's like nothing here is terribly complicated, but there's just three parts of it. And I'm trying to like, wait, hold on, trying to like connect them in my brain. Uh, You you don't want to be the judge trying to explain this to a brand new player. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So on the front half, it's a form on a sorcery for essentially put a sideboard card in your hand but it has to be non-creature i don't it's kind of mediocre four mana for that is pretty expensive and standard i think and then on the other side you have a two mana one four that you can bounce it so i guess the point is that you can keep tutoring for cards in your sideboard but like yeah it doesn't seem that good in standard why do i want that and, and there's no future for this in commander because you can't go get anything with it. Yeah, I don't I don't love this. You know what uncommon legendary is going to see a bunch of play in standard? Sir Sir Farin the Hengehammer. 
two green for a two two and when sir heron sir Farron attacks another target attacking creature gets plus x plus x until end of turn where x is sir Farron's power <laughs> that's egg that's like a, they're setting up for green stompy right with nylea that guy will be in that deck for sure and if it if this two two leads into a three three and a four four on green and they're fooling around with a bunch of devotion cards next set this guy's going to be hammering people yeah, he can hit. He could potentially hit real hard, depending on what sort of tricks you play. Well, say say the three three on three is just a three three trample. This guy is serving up a five five trample on turn four, mm-hmm. and bigger mm-hmm. if this guy's bigger. If there's some equipment or or buff in play of relevance. Yeah, I mean the fact that he's a knight, like I could see them playing with. Um, God, with the the Jeremy, is it Jeremy Dazani or Javier Dominguez? I forget. Yeah, Javier. I I couldn't pick the right one at dinner the other day, and people kept giving me a hard time. Uh, The JD, yeah, Javier, the JD Invitational card that allows equipment to attach to knights for three less. Sure. So So put an Ember Cleave or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, play your, like, red-green beatdown deck. Where you're just giving this guy an obscene amount of power with some equipment and just is just taking turning some other creature nuts. Cliff was asking me whether he should buy a bunch of Ember Cleave last night, and I was like, I haven't Ugh. seen the list yet that makes me want to. But you're right, Ugh. the combination of the JD card plus Sir Farron and Ember Cleave might be a version of the deck that matters. Um, it also occurs oh. to me that if oh, we're set- doesn't the JD card give another knight attacking knight plus two plus zero as well? Does it? Let me see. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. But oh, isn't that isn't the sequencing on that wrong? Let me see. I think the sequencing is wrong. Hold on, we're gonna scroll down here. Fervent Champion is a one-one first strike haste knight. Whenever Fervent Champion attacks, another target attacking knight you control gets plus one plus one. Yeah, so they you can stack those triggers. I think. Yeah. So yeah, you should be able get, to. He gives Sir Farron the plus one plus one. So Sir Farron's a three three. So this guy becomes a two two first strike haste, and you can equip Ember Cleave to it for Jeeber. So yeah, there could be something there. Wait, let me look uh, up Embercleave. For, for standard, anyway. The um, the other thing about Castle Garenbrig is that it might be set up for Green Devotion and Theros. Wait, what was the name of the JD Invitational card? It is Fervent Champion. Okay, so you can't Embercleave on, like, turn three. Not easily. No. It's probably a little deeper in the game. Yeah, just because I because the fervent champion has a cost reduction, but it's only on the equip. It doesn't help Ember Cleave's cast effect. But we also have Elite Headhunter, quadruple red, two three menace, and then well, quadruple black, quadruple red, um, hybrid mana, and then three hybrid mana, black red, sacrifice another creature or an artifact. Elite Headhunter deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. That thing feels like. It might be the intended finisher for for a knight deck, um, where it's because it has the flexibility to be sacrificing a creature or ember cleave. He's okay. I was looking at the hybrid on commons. Elite headhunter is he's fine. Four mana, two three menace. Like I, I mean, the ability to close out the game with him is definitely meaningful. That 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 particular part of text has to be very good. I will tell you that the hybrid card I actually think I, I think is the best positioned here is Lock Dragon. Okay. It's the is it one? Uh four mana three two flyer. 
So three three two flyer, uh, and when it enters a battlefield or attacks, you uh, what is this rummage? So discard and then draw. But yeah. like, and you may that that just it's not like it's absurd. It's just if you care about devotion, this is giving you a ton of devotion, and it's exactly something. Is it loves? It's like here's a three two flyer that is going to let you keep rummaging over and over again, which is all pretty good. It seems like very much like a, a cog in the greater component of that deck type of type of thing. Here's a couple of foils we're going to want for EDH. Mirror Maid, one double blue enchantment. You may oh, have yeah. Mirror Maid enter the battlefield as a copy of any artifact or enchantment on the battlefield. That's not the best version of that for Commander. Like, you've got Clever Impersonator that can copy any permanent and we just got another one in, I can't remember if it was Modern Horizons or War of the Spark. Um, that's a little better as well. Uh, but those foils will do well over time. Um, tell you what probably are, people are probably going to sleep on that's going to make us some money, though, is foils of Grumgully the Generous. One red, green, 3-3, three, three, Goblin Shaman, legendary. Each other non-human creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it lots of synergy for that card in edh uh yeah he goes infinite with uh both kitchen finks and uh murderous red cap as well yeah so potential potentially people may actually try to go off with him in modern Who knows? yeah i mean he's he's a worse malira in that regard because malira is two but he's better if your deck isn't solely focused on comboing off because, like, he just gives everyone plus one, plus one rather than only breaking the persist mechanic. Yeah. I mean, overall, I'm not super impressed with Throne of Eldraine, but I think there's going to be a bunch of sleeper cards here that people are not going to ad- correctly identify the power level of. Um, and those sets tend to end up making you money when you are just a little bit ahead of the curve, <sighs> paying attention well- to other people's content. Well, you know, I got, you know, this is a good opportunity here to bring this up as I voiced my opinion on the last cast that I don't think Eldraine is a particularly well-designed set. Um, but despite that, I am seeing people saying, hey, uh, including, I forget who it was on Twitter, but some some competent players commenting that the power level of Throne of Eldraine seems very high, um, higher than we've seen in past I mean, War of the Spark probably is the outline factor, but other than that, uh, the power level is quite high here. So I think if some of the power level might be getting disguised behind the fact that the cards are so damn goofy. Um, but I suspect that they're not wrong. I actually think there are quite a few very potent cards in this set. Yeah. And and I think that... I think I agree. Um, I my take on the set as a whole is that it's going to have 10 particularly powerful cards. And then the rest of the, the set is very much designed for limited and standard play at a, at a relatively modest power level. Yeah, perhaps I guess time will tell. I don't, I don't have a good beat on it myself at the moment, but there are several cards that I've seen where I've been like, Oh, it's uh seems like it's got some, some meat on the bone there. I mean, the adventure mechanic alone, think about how grindy limited it's going to be. Mm. You're getting two for you get all these cards in your deck that are two for ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how that'll play out. Hmm. All right. Well, I think that probably brings us to the end of episode 186. 
We do need I... to hand out a $25 gift certificate to somebody that is hanging out in the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord. Let's say oh. that tonight that person is going it. to be full-size gnome. Huh. Full-size gnome. How does that work? He's full-sized. He's not a young gnome. He's a full-sized gnome. Oh, okay. I'll allow it. Um, where can our listeners find you, James? You can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. And I am standardly haunting the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord, where we are getting tons of stuff done. The uh, big crossed fingers in the Discord this week is people waiting to hear if we're going to get our full allocation of pre-ordered Throne of Eldraine collector booster boxes, which were very cheap. And you too could have access to such hot deals if you were in our Discord. That sounds exciting. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I write the uh, the Watchtower series every Monday over mtgprice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service in case we haven't mentioned it. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum, go figure, that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool and nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. I enjoyed our cast this week, James, as always, and uh, flight schedules permitting, I will join you again next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.